you've been joining us for the last two episodes, we've been talking about presence without participation and really looking with our special guest, Kyle Spears, at how easy it is to have a multi-racial or multi-ethnic community that is not truly inclusive and multicultural. And that begins to grind uh, after a while on uh, everyone involved in some ways, but especially those who are not in the cultural majority or the culturally dominant group. And we've been looking at chapter 10 uh, of my book, All Things to All People. We're going to continue that discussion today, talking about presence without participation. Let's get to it. This is the All Things to All People podcast with Michael Burns. I'm Michael Burns, and this is episode 15 as we continue uh, to go through the book All Things to All People. And as I mentioned in the opening, we are in chapter 10, which in the book is entitled Halfway There, but we've entitled the uh, title of these, we've entitled the title. That's kind of redundant, but we've uh, we're calling these episodes, how about that? We'll say it that way. We're calling these episodes uh, Presence Without Participation. And once again, for uh, our third straight week, part three, we're going to have guest Kyle Spears with us. So with that, we are ready to turn over to our guest today, Kyle Spears from Omaha, Nebraska, the Omaha Church of Christ. Kyle's joining us uh, for the third straight episode. Kyle, thanks so much for being here today. It's a pleasure to have you. How are you doing today? Bro, I am well. Thank you for having me on. I, I, I honestly feel humbled and excited and grateful uh, to be able to be on this, this with you, man. This has been a lot of fun. And yeah, it's been crazy. It's been crazy <laughs> lately. I feel like our state is like half opening back up. Okay. And so it's been fun and re-energizing, but also kind of like what's going to happen next. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting here, and it's uh, May, May 20th as we record this. And so we're right in the middle of uh, a week where supposedly we're relaxing mildly the, the stay-at-home order and all of that. But I, I think... I think we went as a state, we went from zero to a hundred, just, you know, as soon as you, you know, the old saying, give an inch and take a mile. Um, they're like, okay, we're going to relax a little bit. And I, you know, I drive up to the store and I look over at the lake and there's like 200 cars parked, you know, and people (laughs) everywhere. And, um, so I I think people just, um, it, it is interesting, Kyle, though, the difference I talked to some friends from, south africa this week and like when they had their lockdown uh they couldn't really leave their property only to go to the store so they couldn't run they couldn't go for a walk um any of that they shut down alcohol and cigarette sales since march 16th if you can believe that two months without selling alcohol and cigarettes in the whole country um i think if we did that in the united states we'd have a new al capone uh, already, <laughs> already running 
alcohol, uh, you know, moonshine and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, crazy times. Uh, how's the family? Appreciate you asking, bro. It's been interesting. My son is teething and that, what that means is that, uh, whatever we thought we were getting in terms of routine, he's taken back that territory full. Uh, he's teething, he's in pain. We're getting up at nighttime and it's, it's incredible to see my kid grow, mm -hmm. but then it's like at the same time that that means something that he needs from me, <laughs> right. like sleep and, uh, you know, get up and, but I love him. And my wife, she's been actually, she, uh, she works as a physician's assistant in cardiac surgery. And so when they had the stop order for elective surgeries, she kind of, you know, paced down a little bit, but now she's pacing back up. And the hospitals are getting busy again. And so it's a whole, I mean, she's very good at what she does, but it's been very, again, that pacing is just starting to crease again. So yeah. we're doing well. Yeah. Good. Good to hear. Um, good that she's uh, back busy again. That's good. Um, my, my wife conversely is, um, you know, she's an ICU nurse. So the last two months or so have been absolutely insane um, I can she's been working just wall to wall, uh, in you know, pretty challenging situations. So now it's just starting to ease off a little bit, um, for her as the, as the rest of the hospitals, uh, start coming to life, the, the rest of the sections. So, um, amen. Well, Kyle, let's, we were going through the chapter, um, when we left off in the last episode and we were talking about, um, ways to, uh, you know, some of the elements that you can see present in the community questions to ask, you know, are, are there areas that we need to grow in and having not just presence, but also participation. And so we're going to jump, uh, into this section, uh, is one group almost always comfortable, which is a good question to ask. Let me read that. And then I want to hear your response. Most athletic trainers or coaches can agree on one simple rule. If you can talk comfortably while you're working out, then you are not pushing yourself hard enough. The thought behind that is that being able to talk easily means that your breathing is comfortable and your heart rate is in a comfortable spot for your level of fitness. To get maximum training benefit, you need to push yourself beyond the point where you can carry on a conversation. If you're out for a nice jog with friends, no problem. But if you're working out to get in better shape, you will need to ditch the riveting conversation. Following Jesus is never once, never once advertised as easy. Jesus describes discipleship in often stark terms of carrying your cross. In other words, to do this, you will have to die to your desires, preferences, and comfort zone. Being all things to all people is about getting outside of what is your norm and what feels right to you. It is to put the interests of others ahead of your own and the mission of the kingdom as the priority in your life. Now, what does all this have to do with culture? Simply this. If you come to church gatherings on Sunday and small group meetings of various kinds throughout the week, and most, if not all things, seem normal, not strange, and they line up quite comfortably with the way you prefer things done, then the either the group you are a part of is not diverse, or you are part of a dominant culture that does not venture from the norm very often, if ever. 
There's no way around that. If everything your community does, including the sermon styles, the music types, the communication that goes on, the expressions of worship, the activities, and just about everything else seems normal, and you participate without ever having to think about how different it is from what you grew up with or might prefer, then you are part of a dominant culture. If something never seems uncomfortable or new to you, then it's highly likely that your church is not engaging in multicultural inclusion. If you've never thought about the topics presented in this book in any way, shape, or form, then you're probably from a dominant culture. The opposite is also true. If many things seem uncomfortable or off to you, even if you've grown accustomed to them after a time, then it's very probable that you are in a non-dominant group in a church that has yet to explore true cultural diversity. So Kyle, let me stop there and say, uh, what can you help us out? What can you, what, what do you see there? What can you um, add to that discussion? One of the things that I, I, I sort of felt as you were reading that was a mix um, of emotions. One was kind of a, um, like a humor, uh, you know, and then another mm. part of me just kind of felt a sadness. Mm, mm. And um, part of it is this, is that I remember when I, when I came to this church, again, you know, I've talked about in the other episodes, I was looking for what type of church, you know, what kind of culture was I looking for? I was kind of like a chameleon. And, you know, part of being a chameleon is you can adapt and you can adopt and then you get accepted. And so there's kind of this, you know, excitement about that, but then there's a loss. And I feel like, you know, for a lot of people, the truth is that there's a lot of loss when it comes to this. Um, when you when you want God so bad, you'll do anything, and I mean anything, to get him. And you'll give up parts of who you are, which needs to happen, like you were saying, dying to yourself here. But then there's aspects that he's not calling us to give up. But that's the price because of, who's sharing the gospel with us. That's the culture. And so if you're in the dominant group, I mean, I have compassion both ways. If you're in the dominant group, I certainly feel like, amen, there should be an aspect of um, your culture that should be honored. Yep. But we know that, as Paul writes, you know, that he gives up rights. In 1 Corinthians, you know, he's about giving up rights um, rather than claiming them. And so, you know, you even talk about parts of the body, you know, parts that are unpresentable. We actually want to lift up the parts that don't get the honor. And I think for me, when I came in, I think when I came in, I just wanted to fit in, Mike. Honestly, I was a young guy. I was impressionable. You know, if a guy's wearing a mullet, then maybe I should get one. I I'm kidding. But you, you get the impression. You get what I'm saying about we just want that acceptance. And people mm -hmm. who are marginalized, they really want acceptance. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, there is a loss a very real loss of, I can't bring all of me here. Therefore, I can't be known. And if I can't be known, then there's a part of me that can't be loved. And that is such a need that God really wants. And so I, I think, I think for me, it, again, there's humor in it. It's like, hey, you know, <laughs> we can be, have big blind spots. And then another part of it that's sad. Yeah. And, you know, who is, I mean, I guess in each group, who, who's kind of that person who had to, give up more of themselves so they could be unified or be connected. And, and so I, I, to me that I think there's something to lean into. Yeah. You know, no, that's, that's great thoughts, really helpful. And, and 
I may have even shared this on one of the episodes. You know, you start to forget what you share where, but I, you know, I think when we talk about this topic of being all things to all people, uh, and you kind of uh, kind of alluded to this, I'm definitely not saying that, hey, dominant culture folks, you just have to completely drop your culture and do everything the way other people do it. Uh, that's not it at all. That wouldn't be healthy or sustainable either. Um, but it's it's more of a recognition that the non-dominant cultures are very rarely and sometimes never um, being included or having things, uh, you know, done uh, their way. For instance, a, a sermon style. If you come from a, a traditionally uh, maybe African-American culture church and you are now in a multiracial church, but the sermon styles are always very sort of traditional Western European kind of white deal. Um, of course, most of the group's not ever going to think about it, but you know, you might really long for that style of sermon you grew up with, and and that's valid. So you you never get things in your comfort zone, and so when we start talking about you know humility and all things to all people and laying down um, your rights and culture and you know accommodating others. Um, I've had several times where people have come up to me from a dominant culture within the church and said, you know, why do we have to be the ones only? You're only challenging us. Why do why do we have to be the ones to lay down our culture? Why didn't you challenge the other groups? And my response is always, yeah, I think I, I appreciate that. But I think you're missing the point. They're always adapting. And what we're asking for here is just a, a small piece of equity and, and valuing the other person. Um, do, do you agree with that? Is that? Yeah, bro. Uh, and, I, and I'm not just saying that. I, I'll give you a great example. I was watching a YouTube video of a guy who was talking about this. He was a white male. And he came out and said this on the, it was a TED Talk. Mm -hmm. um, I think TED Talk or TEDx. And he talked about um, how as a white male, he's in the dominant group. And he never actually it's invisible to him because his his color sets the tone in a way and i think what we need is a name so what he hit the term that he came up for for the the culture of the dominant group is and you've heard of it which is rugged individualism yeah and it's that idea that i am you know it's it's the it's the chevy ford truck commercial it's the you know i am a free man i can go here i can go there i've got options um, I, I'll give you a great example in my fellowship. Um, I, for a moment, I started dressing up a little bit more. Um, but I got freaked out and kind of intimidated because the dominant aesthetic has become extremely casual. Um, it's now smart, casual suits are out <laughs> almost now. Right. Um, you, you got, you know, you wear a nice blazer if you want, but it's, it's almost like casual is where it's at. Um, that's partly because of the dominant aesthetic. My wife and I visited a church last December in Chicago. It was a predominantly black church. Everyone, everyone in that church was dressed to the nights. It's such yep. a different, like, you know, black versus white churches, very different in the aesthetic. And so I get caught because there's a part of me as a minority that I don't want to sort of unblend too much from the dominant aesthetic. And I don't want to become unrelatable. But at the same time, there are times where I do want to dress up, Mike. Yeah. You know, like right. 
And, and so I get caught because I know what that rugged individual aesthetic and individualism aesthetic is. Get them and church clothes it. on, huh? Get them church right. clothes I, like, on. Let's, let's get it. Um, but anyway, you get what I'm saying in yeah. terms of the sort of the pull in between. No, I'll tell you, I, I hear you. Um, and it's, you're right. It's different, you know, different cultures, different groups here. It's, uh, in the U S it tends to be a little more laid back. That can vary by church, uh, the way you dress, but, um, you know, South Africa is mostly very similar to that a little more, you know, casual when you dress. And so, uh, recently I was, I was here at several churches and then I went to South Africa and I was, uh, you know, speaking there. And so just some, you know, dress slacks and a nice button up shirt or something. And I hadn't been to Kenya for a couple of years. And so I went up to Kenya to do some classes throughout the week. And then Sunday morning came and they were having a special service. And I'm just wearing a, you know, button up shirt and no tie, no jacket or anything. And I walked in and I was like, oh my goodness, I forgot. Like, cause in Kenya, you dress up for church. Uh -oh. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the evangelist there very, uh, very kindly and graciously pulled me to the side and said, um, I, I have a tie for you to put on. Um, if you could just slip this on because people will <laughs> struggle a little bit if you step up without, you know, a tie. And so, uh, amen. I had committed a cultural faux pas and he very kindly, um, covered for me there and, and happened to have an extra tie. Um, so yeah, so, uh, it's, it, it can be funny. Let me ask you a question, Kyle. Do you play the piano? No. No, that's that's too bad because uh, we're going to get into the next section here and talk about <laughs> piano playing yeah, just a little bit. Uh, my sister was an amazing piano player, and I remember her uh, when we were younger starting out with, uh, especially she would play this song, The Entertainer. Do you know that song? Um, da -da 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 the entertainer oh, just started yeah, yeah. the show. You know, yeah. she would play that over and over and over again until she got really good. Um, so that's a little backdrop to the section reading I'm going to do here. Let me let me read the next couple sections actually, and then uh, we'll get your thoughts. It says my older sister was an excellent piano player when we were growing up. She could play almost anything. It seemed to me and could have easily been a concert pianist had she chosen to pursue that as a career. I was always awed by her prowess on the ivories. And despite the fact that many people told me I could be just as good as she was because I had the hands for piano playing, uh, I could never master more than chopsticks and the theme from Jaws. What was the difference? And, and let me just say, that may be a slight exaggeration. I'm not even sure I ever mastered chopsticks. Um, what was the difference? She put countless hours into piano practice and developed a skill. I never took a single lesson and I refused to even try. Because of that, she was the Liberace of our family and I was the one people looked at and said things like, don't worry, you'll find something you're good at one day. Uh, which was pretty much the mantra towards me growing up. Like, you'll find your niche, you know, as you get older. Um, it's, it's okay. Um, so, you know, there you have it. Um, and, and I didn't have the patience, Kyle, to be a piano player. Like, I'm like, if I'm going to play the piano, I want to be little Richard, like right now, right, right now. I didn't want to put in, you know, weeks and months and, and years of practice. 
This might seem obvious, but typically people or groups are not good at things they don't work at. If church families don't talk about or train in cultural competency, the chances are high that they will not develop that skill. And it is a skill. A talent or gift is something you're born with. A skill is something that you develop through sustained effort. Navigating our own culture is easy. It's like your native language in that you begin to pick it up before you're even aware that you're learning something, and it becomes second nature. It's part of who you are. But steering your way through another culture is not typically a natural talent. There are precious few who seem to be able to do it almost naturally, but they very likely picked up the skills of cultural adaptability within their own culture in which adaptability was taught to them. Most of us do not have that talent and will not develop the skill without sustained effort. If a church does not train its people in cross-cultural communication and effective inclusion, they will not become all things to all people. They might be a wonderfully loving group, but the chances are low of them being culturally competent. Similarly, churches that feel they do not need to pay attention to these matters because they're doing fine and there are bigger fish to fry and are most likely are most likely going to limit their potential to grow and progress beyond where they are. Let me read these two more sections, Kyle, and then we'll get your thoughts here. These are very short. Those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it. This or similar statements have become a popular sentiment. If you are not taught something, this ignorance leaves you vulnerable. We cannot apply what we do not know. Local church bodies may not feel equipped to regularly teach or train in the area of cultural competency and cross-cultural connection. But what about special workshops or larger regional conferences? If you look at what is emphasized and taught consistently at these events, you will quickly find what a church or family of churches truly values or wants to grow in. A lack of teaching on cultural and diversity issues is an indicator that these topics are not on the radar of those in leadership positions who make the decisions of what is taught. And that is another indicator that perhaps your group, while being diverse, is not multicultural. And the final short section, who is participating? Another potential symptom that your group is multiracial but not yet multicultural is the participation level. If you observe the active participants in the various ministries and leadership positions throughout the church and notice that the percentage of dominant culture brothers and sisters among them is less than their percentage of the congregation, that may be a sign of frustration and not feeling like they and and feeling like they do not fit in. And do not have a place. So Kyle, we're really talking here about churches, you know, that work at cultural inclusion, that teach cultural inclusion, and that get people from other cultures participating at all levels of the church. Um, What can you tell us uh, of your thoughts here? What can we learn? Uh, Bro, I'm going to kind of actually detail into some things you specifically said um this this is loaded bro and i mm. i i hope you know that this is really well written but loaded <laughs> uh, first of all uh on page 113 if you look um it talks about you know in second paragraph down after we don't talk about that yeah 
um, it says we're not good at things we don't work at. Bro, that's really well put. Um, my term typically is that comfort's overrated. Yeah. Literally. Comfort's, and we have to find a new comfort zone. I've got a buddy who is in Turkey. Um, I think he's going to be a total there 10 years or so. His name is Drew. And we actually support him. Before he went to Turkey, him and the mission team, they studied the language for a year. Wow. A year before they went to Turkey. And I think that one thing you nail really well, I think oftentimes is not just cultural competency, but the language of culture. It's not just a knowledge. There is a language. Mm. And I think we actually have to try to learn culture as we would learn a language. We have to learn the, the language. And, and I think to some degree, it's really easy when someone's going on a mission team to Turkey to put it on the radar. Yeah. But it's difficult when we think about it in terms of our church or, you know, on the north side of town, the south side of town. You know what I mean? It's it's hard to think, OK, well, I need to learn that culture like I would learn the, the culture of Turkey. That is the call. Yeah, literally. And that is the only way. And it's difficult when you don't live there. Yes. It, it, it is a church. You you have to overcome geography. And I, I know you don't specifically talk about that here. But I think in some words, geography is very much the undertone of this. You have to overcome. Yeah. You have to offset the effects of, of, of geography. Um, so you have to move. You have to go. You have to leave from where you are. And that is uncomfortable. It's it, it's and that's why I say comfort's overrated in a way. Um, and then you mentioned this word competent. Uh, the last paragraph on 113, culturally competent. But I just want to focus on the word competent. Before I sort of launch into what I think about it, what what do you mean by culture culturally competent? Like, what would be your sort of short definition of of what you mean by that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I think in being uh, culturally competent, uh, we're talking about the ability to understand and adapt and operate within other cultures. Um, to include them, to have a, a basic set of skills where you, you're working towards, um, you know, inclusion and not offending people, not ignoring the issue. It's certainly not implying that you are a, an absolute expert. You are going to do everything right. You know, I, I've joked about this often. I, I work towards cultural competence myself and being aware of uh, cultural conflicts and being aware of when I need to ask questions and when I need to learn, that does not mean that I know every culture. I've had people come up and say, hey, I'm taking a trip to China next week. What do I need to know about the culture there? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I'm not, I've not ever been to China. Um, but, you know, I can give you some tips towards, you know, learning. So I think that's a big part of it is being aware, being willing to learn, and, and then starting to, you know, be able to um, connect with people of other cultures and operate within those cultures in a, in a way that does include them and doesn't uh, unnecessarily offend. Uh, and, okay. and, and so, you know, originally, by the way, Kyle, the, the title of this book was All Things to All People, The Power of cultural competence. And at the last minute, uh, we uh, decided that I liked cultural humility better and grasp mm -hmm. that, but they're really getting at the same idea. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love your idea about you have to immerse yourself. And I think that's the difference between, I think about almost like an immersion aspect. You can dip your toe in or you can just, you know, when the water's super cold mm-hmm. swimming. Are you a pretty good swimmer, bro? You look like you'd be pretty decent swimmer. Um, Yeah, I, I can not drown, you know. Um, <laughs> no, you, you know what? Honestly, it's the weirdest thing. I am a boss at the backstroke. But I've I've never been able to get the whole, like, I should be a good swimmer. My dad was a really great swimmer. Um, but I never could get the, you know, put your face in the water and then bring it up to the side to breathe. Um, I just could never get that. But I am built like a swimmer. And so, like, the backstroke, I, I can kill people in the backstroke. But I, I, I don't swim as well. If I'm swimming on my stomach, I got to keep my head above water. <laughs> oh man, I'm really <laughs> glad I asked that question. Um, I just, I, it kind of makes me think of like when the water was super cold. Yeah. I think that's what this feels like for people. Like, I need to get in. I'm sure once I get in, I'll be fine. But the jumping point and, and being in the water and being, you know, adjusted, there's a big difference between yeah. outside the water. And I think that's, and then once people get in the water, they need gills. Yeah. My buddy who's in Turkey, he now does Vimeo um, lessons completely in the language that they speak in Turkey. Wow. Completely. He is fluent. His kids are fluent. And it's just amazing once you jump in the water. It's a lot of fun. And I get cultural, you know, diversity. It's a lot of hard work, but there's a huge payoff. Yeah. I mean, like I think about the story, and I want to be like you one day. The stories you have, you can't buy. You have stories on stories and stories, and I just I think about how rich your life is, and all the stories you'll be able to tell for ages because you you you're out there and you expose yourself. I'm sure it's been very worth it. So that's where I want to be myself. Amen. Yeah, I, I, there's no doubt. I've been very blessed and privileged. The funny thing is about that is, do you, do you know, this is true. I think it was, um, by age 37, I hadn't maybe 36. I had never been out of the country. I've never, no, never been to Mexico, to Canada, um, nowhere. And now the last 12 years or so I've done nothing but be out of the country, it feels like, um, which has been a, a great, amazing journey. But uh, yeah, and, and I say that because I think it's important because I think people, you know, might get the impression that, well, I, I, you know, maybe he grew up in some missionary family and traveling around the world and all these different places. And like, no, dude, I barely left Wisconsin. I went to Oklahoma for college for three years. Otherwise, I was in Wisconsin um, and I always, you know, grew up saying, Hey, I'm badger born, badger bred. And when I die, I'm badger dead. And I don't see the <laughs> point of leaving my home state or, you know, um, and I, by nature, I'm not the most adaptable person. I really like my way of doing things. Um, you know, I have routine, I have, uh, my preferences, just ask my family. They'll tell you. Like, I'm, I'm very routine. I'm very, like, here's the right way to do things. Um, my wife and I, when we first got married, uh, and this is not a, a, a how-to story, 
Uh, this is not prescriptive. This is descriptive. Uh, but <laughs> she she uh, did a load of laundry, and I took I looked at the towels and stuff that she'd folded in the basket, and then I took them out and I refolded them, and proceeded to tell her how she had folded them incorrectly. And hey, hon, let me just show you how to fold these the right way. Um, it, it was some years before she would fold uh, clothes again. She's like, no, you just oh. do it. <laughs> um, and because uh, I was so picky about it, you know. So so then to take the journey and, and become someone who's been called to, uh, I think, address these topics of adaptability and cultural humility um, it, it's a, it's a challenge for me. It's not like it comes easy. So I have to really work at it. And so I, I know this is an overused phrase sometimes, but it's true in this case, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, I appreciate you saying that and the, the backdrop and, 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 and as you were, as you were talking for a moment, I kind of thought about this last, uh, paragraph here yeah. for the next and I, 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 one thing that I, I just, and I think this is a really big deal. You bring up leadership positions yes. and the, the last couple of paragraphs before you start the next section, you bring up leadership and you know, bro, that that's, that's tough. Um, I've had people with parting shots before they leave our, you know, people with parting shots before they leave sort of a fellowship. Yeah. That one of their parting shots is really directed at the leadership makeup of our of the leadership teams. And what sucked, I mean, what's really, you know, so hard is is when part of something is true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Um, how do you defend that? How do you sort of accommodate that? And 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 that, you know, in our church, I think there's a it's tough. Um, we want to see that change. And there's an, Mike, I kid you not, there's an open-mindedness open in Omaha. Um, I think sometimes difficult is, is the definition of qualified. Um, what does it mean for someone who's a minority to be qualified? And I think, and I've actually had people in authoritative positions tell me, Kyle, I have a dilemma where I want to be inclusive and I want to be diverse, but I actually want people to be qualified. Yeah. So that's a real dilemma that I find in this in this moment that you're mentioning here. There's a tension. I, I can't honestly say I have the answer to that. So it's been hard. Yeah, I, I totally understand that feeling. It's like when you're standing on one side of a canyon and you know you need to be on the other side, but you don't have a plank and don't know how to get there. Um, it, it, it can be really uh, frustrating and discouraging even. And, you know, I, I think there are two potential ways to start to think about that. Um, one is culturally to maybe take a step back and say, you know, do I have a, a vision of leadership that is a prison to culture? Mm. Um, and so, you know, I, I've seen, for instance, people where you might look at someone from an ethnic group other than white, which is kind of the predominant leadership in our church, for instance, and think, yeah, they're not really, you know, they're great brother, sister, but, you know, they're probably not 
the type of person that's going to be a leader. But then when you talk to people from that culture, they view that person as a leader. Um, and, and I think what that illustrates is it's it's not out of a bad heart or bad intentions, but again, you look at uh, the characteristics of a leadership from your cultural prism. And so it's really easy to go, oh, no, that person doesn't meet what a leader is, uh, but that's by your culture. They're, they actually uh, do function as a leader within their own culture. I'm not saying that's always the case, but I think that's um, an important start. And then the other element I think is um, to say, uh, okay, if there is a reality that there is a lack of people qualified spiritually or otherwise, uh, then I think, you know, you have to look and say, okay, what led to that? Was it a historic inequity? Is it a lack of balance in our church? Is it a lack of, you know, consistent cultural inclusion uh, and raising people up and including them so that they could um, uh, participate enough and have enough influence? And, um, you know, are you always doing everything by the culture of the dominant group, which is forever going to leave non-dominant cultures at a, at a disadvantage of participation and ideas and you know, all of that, are you, are you letting that, you know, like act six, are you giving them control, letting them do some things their way and then finding that their gifts flower, you know? Um, so it might be that it might be, as I said, the historic inequities where you've got to look and say, okay, maybe there's not a, a bunch of young men that have the education or training opportunities where they could be the type of leader we need in this community, what are we doing about it? Are we going mm. back and are we creating scholarships for, you know, maybe uh, say if you're in the United States, are we creating scholarships for young African-American men or young Latino men or women, you know, to go to seminary, to get educated so that we can address this issue uh, both short-term and long-term? So I think those are two ways. If we look at the cultural element, and then the historic element and say, how are we going to address it? I don't think, and this might come across a little biting, but I don't think it's a good enough answer to go, well, I would raise up people if they were qualified, but they're not. So I guess we don't have a choice. That's a, that's a cop out, quite frankly. Um, I appreciate where you're at. I understand uh, the challenge and frustration but you can't stop there. You've got to say, yeah. how are we going to address it? And, you know, I know it, it, it's tough if you look and say, well, we got a bunch of 15 year olds, but they're 15 years from leading in any capacity or 10 years from leading. Well, then it's a 10 year plan or a 15 year plan, but be <laughs> doing something to make the change. Don't, don't just sit there. Um, but that's, yeah, I appreciate the thought. Let me, let me read this next section, and then, then I'm going to have a question for you specifically, I think. Sure. Um, to be clear, uh, and this is a section of journey, not a destination. To be clear, not every symptom listed above needs to be present in order to realize that there's work to do in your fellowship. Conversely, 
Having one or two elements present does not automatically mean that your church is not multicultural or does not care about the issues. And please don't equate a lack of multiculturalism with callousness or racism. There is not an automatic correlation there. Multiple factors are at play in a diverse church that has yet to fully understand or embrace the need for multicultural training and development. We also need to be aware that this is not an issue like being pregnant. You're either pregnant or not. There is no in-between. We are talking about something with varying degrees, more like a sliding scale. I don't believe that it's possible to have a diverse church that is completely monocultural, nor is it realistic to think that we could ever achieve something like complete and you know perfect multiculturalism. This is a journey, and we should always seek to grow and improve. The point of recognizing that we've not embraced intentional growth and cultural competency as a community is to spur us on towards increased effort and growth in this area. So I'm going to ask you two questions, Kyle. The, the first is, from the perspective of someone who uh, currently and at, at various times found themselves um, you know, in some aspects as a, a non-dominant cultured person within a church, um, how, how can that feel? Share, share with brothers and sisters from the dominant culture. What, what are the effects of that over time? How can that feel? Um, you know, and, and how can we respond to that and, and help, uh, brothers and sisters in that position? Bro, I appreciate you asking that. Um, the feeling at times is is there's a little bit of a loneliness. Mm. Um, there's alone and lonely. Alone is who you're around. Lonely is how you feel. And there are times you can be in a room full of people but feel lonely. Um, but then also alone. And there have been times where, uh, so in our congregation, I've gone, this is years back, but I there was a time where we had kind of an exodus of color. And I remember sticking around and I was conflicted because on one hand, I'm getting this message from people that I'm a sellout and I'm afraid. That's why I'm staying. I'm staying because of fear, not love. Mm. And so there was a tension that I was in where, and I had to dig deep and it was difficult because it's like, who do I talk to? You know, uh, obviously at any point, this is going to be made into a loyalty issue rather than a, you know, you know, and so I think that there is a real thing of like, okay, so the music, um, I don't, there, there has not been a lot of choice. We play what we play, you know, a lot of K-Love stuff, no offense against K-Love <laughs> and bot radio and all that stuff. I'll be honest. I don't listen to it. Yeah. I listen to, um, a lot of Christian music that very, you know, cultured. Um, but there's just a lack of, of, of choice. And so I've only had one person this entire time ask me, um, uh, I've been here seven years, almost eight years. One woman has asked me, Kyle, what's it like to be a black male in our church? Hmm. Seven, almost eight years. I've only had one person ask me, what's it like? Um, and then the other thing is on leadership, you know, um, again, we have amazing leadership in our church. Um, but what we're working towards is that sort of diversity on leadership. My concern at times when minorities look at leadership, if they don't see it, they don't that's kind of what matters. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that's tough. Um, and then I just, 
yeah, I mean, there's a loneliness that at times I feel, but to be honest with you, there's a lot of love that I feel too. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had to wrestle through those really hard things. And Mike, there are things that I still wrestle with. I'm not a finished product Yeah. in this area. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that and being vulnerable there, Kyle. Um, here's my second question. Maybe you've already answered yeah. it to a degree is, uh, what, uh, from your perspective, what can churches or even individuals do within a church uh, to help people uh, feel less lonely, more valued, more included? And and I and I love that you pointed out that question of what does it feel to be, uh, what does it feel like to be a black man in this church? Um, that's a great question. Is there is there any other thoughts you have there? that someone listening could say, okay, I, I, I want to help. Um, what, what could I do? You know, and, and I'm not necessarily talking leadership here. Cause I think we're going to continue to address that as we go, but just, you know, um, your, your regular old, um, you know, Juan or Tanisha that's in the, in the pew, um, or, or, uh, well, I guess, you know, and if we're, if we're talking about what can, um, a dominant culture do, maybe we're talking about, uh, Greg and Karen or something, uh, you know, what, what could they do, um, to reach out to brothers and sisters? I really appreciate that. Um, I had, I'll give you a very personal example. Um, I had a family member, uh, so I'm married to my, my wife's Caucasian, my wife's white, whatever you want to call it. Um, there was a family member who I had talked to about a year ago about this. And they, and there was just a humility on their part. They're like, I don't know. And they had one of those very dismissive color doesn't matter. Um, her family's actually very much become super, not just sympathetic, but really curious. And I think there's a curiosity. She, uh, there was a family member recently who had asked my daughter is like, you know, super young and they made a color about, they made a comment about the color of Lego pieces. How do I talk to my daughter about a darker Lego piece, not being less than a lighter Lego piece mm. starts young. Wow. And to be a part of that narrative is honoring. Because what it says to me is, is Kyle, uh, you know what, your your story matters. And the the life that you've had to, you know what, you probably have had to figure that out. I I don't just want that information for me. I want it for my kids because mm. that's how racism also gets passed. Yeah. It's subtle. It's subtle. So those conversations of how do I, and and it it's not just a conversation of now that okay, how do I talk to my, my, you know, six-year-old daughter about this? Now, all of a sudden I'm closer to them. And it, it just, and, and again, to me, I now feel invited into their dilemma. Mm. You know, I think minorities don't feel invited to help solve anything oftentimes. Wow. <laughs> Are there any problems that I can help solve? Yeah. Um, and so that just gives a role, not just, not just, it doesn't just give, you know, a place for pain. It gives a role. And I think that's helpful. That's helpful. Thanks, Kyle. That's that's good stuff. Let me finish off uh, our episode today. I'm going to read this last section, and then if you have any um, closing thoughts, I'd uh, love to hear them, and we'll, we'll draw it to a close here. Yep. Uh, this is a section, Default Culture. If I'd spent 
more time before that New Year's Eve party getting song suggestions from younger people and including their preferences, the party would have been far more inviting. But I didn't do that, and it froze the music choices to what I think is good music. Although I think what I think is good music is the best music, and everybody should agree, but strangely, that doesn't happen. So it didn't really occur to me that, excuse me, that I was making choices conditioned by my own experiences, age, and taste. When I was preparing the playlist, I thought I was only selecting good music that everyone would enjoy, but my horizons were limited. A community that does not strive for awareness, education, training, and advancement in cross-cultural areas will be locked into a default culture. If we are not actively pursuing being all things to all people, and if we don't include that as a value at every level of our church's life, then we will rarely, if ever, go beyond the dominant culture. Imagine what it might have looked like in the first century if Paul had traveled throughout the Roman Empire from one Gentile town to the next, proclaiming to them the amazing truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then explaining in great detail how they needed to embrace every aspect of the Jewish cultural life in order to properly worship God. What would that have done to the spread of Christianity? Can you imagine the impact of that? It creates an entirely different gospel, doesn't it? You don't need me to say that. Paul said it. He strongly rebuked the Galatians for turning to a culturally mandated gospel that tied together aspects of Jewish culture and practice with inclusion into Christ. In 1 Galatians 1, verse 6 through 9, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. In response to this imposition of the dominant culture on Christianity at the time, Paul called them to be acutely aware of cultural acceptance and inclusion of others. In short, he called them to understand that to be in Christ includes the call to be all things to all people. To not become a captive of a default culture, we must pay attention to these matters and be diligent. And I'll just close with this thought, Kyle, and turn it over to you. Paul's problem with the law was that the law by nature and following the Jewish law separated out the nations. And it worked against the gospel call to gather the nations and be all things to all people. So Paul will never say that the law is bad. But the law cannot be a mandated part of the gospel to gather the nations because it will uh, it'll blow that up. It'll, it'll work against it. Uh, it exalts one culture over the other. And so that was Paul's issue. Um, do you have any closing thoughts here? Uh, feel, feel free to expound as much as you need to. Um, but I'd uh, love to hear your thoughts. Bro, I appreciate that. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to 
sort of be brief here. I first of all, I want to say that this last section was it, it just has so many nuggets, and I've actually underlined a couple things just reading through it and made some notes. What you just said, this is a really good section, Mike. Um, I think the thing that kind of going back to the last thing we had talked about was that if we really want to connect, we have to give we have to give somebody a podium for their story. You know, as a marriage and family therapist wow, in my yeah. practice. Part of the healing is giving someone to, a, a space to tell their story. And I mean, really tell it. And that, I mean, that's discipleship, really, when you think about it, too. Um, but that I love what you said about the new covenant. The new covenant allows for the biggest story that's ever happened. <laughs> and the law was just preemptive. It, it, it kind of set the story up. But the story is is what God is doing yes. and God wants all nations. And I love that, it, that the story was never the law. And so I just love where you're coming from with this, bro. And, you know, I think about, um, you know, do we, I guess one parting sort of action guiding sort of step would be find someone who is outside of your culture. If you're a minority, find someone in the dominant culture. If you're in the dominant culture, find someone in the minority culture quickly right? COVID mm. is a very special time and allow them to tell you their story mm. and be curious. I, I can almost assure Mike that the spirit will do something um, very special. Find somebody in, in a cross culture and listen to their story. And I think that that's the first step. And I think the spirit really starts to move from there. That's perfect, Kyle. I can't think of a better uh, challenge or way to end uh, this episode and this uh, three-part series uh, on uh, presence without participation. Kyle, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate your insight and, and knowledge and sharing. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. Loved it. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to have you back. Say, uh, Say hello to the brothers and sisters in Omaha there and uh, give our love to your uh, wife and son and, and take good care of them. And uh, thanks for joining us here. Uh, this brings to close episode 15 of the uh, podcast, All Things to All People. Uh, and we'll be back next time getting into chapter 11 of the book and moving forward uh, with our guest Jason Alexander will be back for that episode so we look forward to it we're going to close out here again with the song called Not Taste which is uh, put together created by uh, my good friend Aaron Miner thanks so much see you next time <laughs>